Moses and the CIA, the best laid plans. Hey, Ken, how are you tonight? Dan, doing great. How about yourself? Tonight, we are going to be talking about the best laid plans. The finest, Dan. Let's do it. All right, let's go. This topic is interesting to me because I feel like that I have spent years coming up with ideas for laying out good planning, right? So like meaning putting together um, lists, putting together, uh, like taking courses on time management, buying the latest and greatest planner, um, trying my best to be organized and disciplined and keep fine tuning that over the years. So I am curious, uh, share with everybody, what have been your systems historically? We don't have to talk about, we don't have to get to the present yet, but historically, what have you done to lay out your best plans to like kind of put things in order for you and have a good system for that? So many, many, many years ago, when I was but a young lad, I fell in love with the Franklin Day Planner system and I embraced it 100%. It went with me everywhere. Uh, I would not start my week without having filled it out completely. I tracked everything in there, all of my expenses. Uh, I took freehand notes in there for what was going on during the day, special things that were happening. Uh, I had the days planned out, you know, in 15 minute increments. It was amazing. And then their little system for checking it off, if it was done, if it needed to be carried over, all those different things. And it just so resonated with me. There was something about it um, and its connection to Benjamin Franklin and his concepts of time and planning and the importance of that, um, that really mattered to me. And, and it was the first time I got introduced to the concept of, of importance. And I remember the guy's explanation talking about uh, you know, walk across the floor. And then he's like, all right, walk across a plank that's elevated a foot off the floor. And then would you walk across a plank elevated 10 feet off the floor? Well, what about if it was like across two skyscrapers? And, and then he asked the, the final question, what if your child was on the other side of that plank? And if you didn't walk across it, that child's fate was going to be sealed. And it was this concept of, of importance. And it wasn't that we didn't have enough time. It was that we weren't good or skilled and frankly, didn't know how to organize those things that were most important to us so that they rose to the top. And it was sort of the precursor to all of this stuff today about what matters most and the one thing and all that stuff we've been hearing um, that he introduced years back. So that was, my, that was my premier system, the Franklin Day Planner. So when I hear the Franklin Day Planner, I had one as well. And what jumped into my mind was that when I met my wife, uh, I had a planner, there were no phones, and I asked her to write her number down in my planner. And I thought what was cool, she also had a planner, and she asked for my number back to put down into her planner. That's where we lived our life. And uh, my brother used a funny term. He doesn't necessarily use a planner, but he's always used kind of like a, a notebook. And uh, we used to joke his notebook was the book of life. We used to always say, where's your book of life? Because he could literally go back. It's like, it's like his journal slash diary slash planner slash to-do list would be in this book of life. And he'd carry it everywhere he went with him. And over the years, it would fill up and then he'd have to get a new one, a new one, a new one. So he could go back and he kept them all. 
So it was cool to look back on his books of life. And that also made me think of going back 20 or plus years ago, I had a diary like a book of life, like my book of life. And um, it was, or journal would probably be a better term. And I would journal and I committed. I was like, I'm going to journal every single day. And I did that. And it was really cool to be able to look back at that and see like the changes and growth that I had made over the years. But speaking of growth, it's like, it's interesting to see how once things went from physical to digital, um, my wife, interesting story is that this is probably less than five years ago. I'd say it's around five years ago, three, three to five years ago, um, that she was still keeping her activities on a calendar, like a physical calendar. And, um, so every, every time she was away from her calendar, she'd have to call and go, Hey, go look at the calendar and see what it says for this activity and this thing. And then I remember showing her uh, Google calendar and showing her like, no, like we can invite each other. And this is a much simpler, better way. And it fortunately aligned perfectly as, as our kids got older and they had a lot more activities we had to drive them to. So now she's like, one of the greatest gifts you gave me was the ability to keep track of things in a digital version of the calendar. So I'm curious, when did you switch over from a physical, like whether it's Franklin Day Planner to whatever you moved on to next, to eventually to a digital system to lay out your plans? Memories flooding back because I used it as my journal too. And literally I can look back through there and, and just see what was happening in my life. And I had that thing by my side. It was with me all the time. It was in my briefcase um, or you know, in, in the palm of my hand. And uh, when, speaking of Palm, the Palm Pilot came out, that was my leap to digital. I could jot notes in there with a little writing system. I kind of liked that because it still gave me that physical connection. And I realized that I still do how important writing is to me. Uh, and that was one of the things that the day planner let me do. I guess anything that you keep like that, a journal, there was something about putting pen to paper that felt meaningful and feels meaningful still to this day. So yeah, the Palm Pilot was my next jump. And uh, it was cool at the time. You could put it in your pocket, take it with you anywhere. You could sync it up with things. And it was sort of the beginning of that. And from that to BlackBerry, you know, that was, that was my evolution and finally to iPhone. Um, but I still miss that that writing and I journal every single day and there's a reason for it. And that is just that pen to paper piece that was so important. But I have a cool story about getting audited by the IRS way back when in the era of the day planner, um, my accountant said, you know, they're auditing you. I don't think there's you know, anything there. I literally handed her the day planner for the year and in it, all of my mileage, all of my expenses, everything. And she's like, yeah, they came back with like a $150 fine. They basically had to charge you what an agent would charge to review your stuff for an hour. And, and it's that day planner that like saved me because everything was in one place. And I think that was like the big lesson was there was something about feeling like it's all together in a place, you know, whether it was digital or physical, having everything like right there was great. But from the day planner to the Palm Pilot to the Blackberry, and finally to iPhone. That's an amazing story because as you were talking, I was thinking about a movie my wife and I just watched. And in the movie, it took place in the 1930s and they were showing, they used evidence in court, somebody's like day planner, basically whatever it was, like their calendar, their journal. So they could, that was evidence of where they were at a certain time. 
right? They're like, where were they? And they're like, let's pull out. So they pull out this journal, this planner, and they could show like visited the doctor on this date at this time. And then when they went to collect evidence from the doctor's office, the exact same thing, think they had like a physical, like you check in, right? Like at the doctor's office. So it's amazing how far we've moved from that, right? To be able to track people in their activities and where they're going and to find my iPhone and all these kind of different things that we have go along with it. I wonder, have we removed what used to be taught as the biggest driver of things that should be on your list. And that biggest driver used to always be why, why are you doing what you're doing? Like, why is that even on your list? And you kind of talked about like, I think you were trying to say like urgent versus important, right? Like what's actually important or what's just like urgent, you know, like what's necessary or what's just like something you just feel productive with. And I think that always goes back to the question of, and this is the only time I like this question, why? I think it's bad for most things. Like, why did that happen? You're thinking backwards. But to think forwards, right? Like, why should I do that? Why is that important to me? Why does that even matter to add to my to-do list? I think in the digital world, we've somewhat removed the question and we're more likely to just go schedule that. What are your thoughts on that? So it's a great question. The, the day plan, I'll just keep going back to that because I think it, it really did um, create for me um, a system in my mind. It was A, B, C. And A was must accomplish. Those are the things you had to do. And you could have one, two, three, four, you know, however many of those, but they really recommended that that list be short. That was the absolute essential list. And then the B list, it would be nice if I could get done, but it was still... There, there was still somewhat of an urgency about them. And the, the C list was, yeah, like task list stuff. And when I started first thinking through that, I realized how many C things I put in the A category in my brain automatically. Just like, oh, I'll just knock these little things out. We'll just get a bunch of them done. And then by mid-afternoon when I was tired, the big stuff, the stuff that really would have taken like some mind space was like, ah, I'll do it tomorrow and I'll put it off. And as soon as I started reorganizing things with that ABC schema, it just shifted. Now, the downside about digital is that you can just create a list and that's it. It's like, there's your list. There, there, there's no thought. It, it can be very thoughtless. I'll put it that way because it's so fast and so instant. And it's just kind of that notion of a brain dump. You get everything down on your list and then you just start working through it. And that's what I think we've lost. There's, there's something about speed that's not always good. And there was something about that forced pause when you're looking through your calendar. And I remember them saying, you know, you can write stuff down in any of the days, but the cool thing was you didn't have to organize them until like the night before or the morning of, because sometimes you didn't know if something was going to be an A or a B, depending on what was happening before it. And so the great thing was it really allowed for that thought time and that recalibration just based on what was going on. So to your original question, have we, have we lost some of that? I, I really think we have uh, because everything is forced speed now. And you, you look at how do we rate new devices? The new, the new MacBook Pros are out and it's all about how fast they are. Everything is about how quickly we can move through something. And so few things talk about take a pause and consider and organize and then engage. 
That's a great point. And that's, I was thinking back to, so the early days of Tony Robbins, he had a system. And again, I acknowledge there's no original idea. I'm sure he learned this from other people, but he's called OPA, Outcome, Purpose, Action. And then he updated it to a rebranding and called the RPM, Result, Purpose, Massive Action. The number one valuable item in this world is time, right? Like what can make things smoother, faster? If we can gain back time, we're like, yeah. Cause that's all we feel like that's all that matters to us. But I think in the, in the attempt to gain more time. So the speed has taken away the reflection, right? Like the question of why, why am I doing that? Um, and I think in the business world specifically, I think it's really easy to get caught up in the feeling like I have to accept every single meeting, right? So we're just, our calendars, oftentimes, depending on the level you get to, an executive level person will have an assistant typically or somebody that helps them with their scheduling. And so it's just like, yes, 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 accept, accept, accept meetings. But I don't know if there's that reflection or there's that guidance being given is like, do I really need to be a part of every meeting? Like, especially in management, I know you're really great at helping companies like navigate that and figure that out. It's like, do people at a couple layers above, right? Like, should they really be focused in meetings uh, for some things that they have managers who are responsible and they hold accountable for that? So you're absolutely right. I think we've lost um, the sense because of our efficiency standard, we haven't, we've gotten rid of the question of why and does this really matter? And is this the best use of my time or what I should be doing? So speak to what you recommend for companies in that situation, especially when they're just being bombarded with calendar invites. It's probably, I'd rank it like number one, two, three, somewhere in the top three right now. Um, And I think with remote work, it's become even more essential that we start rank ordering things and thinking about what's necessary and, and back to that, you know, if it's an ABC or a one, two, three way of thinking about it or, you know, urgent, important, you want to attach words to it, um, necessity, whatever it happens to be. So I, I counsel that people take a look at their schedule overall. I like to do it on Sunday night. I actually like to look at my week ahead on Sunday night and look at everything that I have. And I block organize the week ahead. So I'll, I'll create blocks for administrative work. And in that I do return phone calls and emails. I'll block out creative time where I just think about my business and how I can best serve my clients, how I can grow it, what I'm doing. There's nothing planned in it. There's, it's literally just 90 minutes creative time. I've got a couple of whiteboards up in my office and I just whiteboard stuff. Uh, I have time for my specific clients that I mark in. And then, of course, time for specific meetings, coaching calls, and things like that. And I'll do a complete download of everything I can think of. I look at all of that, and I consider, are these things necessary? Are they necessary activities, or can they be delegated? For the things that I call necessary activities, I then group them and place them in the calendar and then I throw the list away. So it's, it's done. There's no more task list. There's no more to-do list. Everything now exists in blocks that are discrete. And the reason I recommend this is it's easier for our minds to process, ah, I have an hour of administrative time rather than looking at, I have 63 emails to return, you know, and I have to call all these people. Now, 
underneath that, we know that we still have to go through, you know, the email for yesterday and return everything. We still have to, you know, go through our voicemail and return those. But just seeing those blocks allows our mind to rest and focus on a single topic rather than on all of the subtopics underneath it. So I recommend the block scheduling technique, doing something if you can on a Sunday night in advance of so that you're not trying to figure things out on the fly because there's gonna be plenty going on anyway. And then ridding yourself of a to-do list so that everything lives in an electronic calendar that you'll have with you wherever you're at. And then the second piece of that, as you're actually going through that calendaring of the, the tasks that you have, to consider whether or not they need to be done by you or they can be delegated out to someone else. Once they're in there then, Dan, it is about prioritization. What matters most in there? And frankly, the stuff that matters is really the only thing that should make it into the calendar. If it's the, wouldn't it be nice? Um, I tend to, to put those things in the, wouldn't it be nice block and just let those live on their own and not confuse that stuff. I'll add one other point in here, and that is uh, with remote work in particular now, we experience something called contaminated time as well as contaminated space. We don't have the distinctions like we used to have. Get up, get dressed, get ready, drive to the work, get your head in the space of work, get to work, do work, go out to lunch, go back to work, drive home, get your head back in the space of being at home, time with kids, time with wife or husband, little time in front of the TV maybe, some reflection, bed. Very routinized, but also very discreet in terms of blocks of time. If you're remote working, it requires even more thought to go into that because where you're working from, just depending on the configuration you've got, maybe where you're spouse or partner is also working from. And if your kids are studying remotely, it may be where they're studying. And it may be where you go to church on Sunday because you're working off the same computer to look at remote church as you did to uh, do your work during the week. So the, the second big piece of advice is look at time and space and look at how you can make it discreet so that you actually give your mind an opportunity to have a break and shift from one activity to another. And if you can also accomplish that by moving spaces, all the better. So this is a real thing and it's called decision-making fatigue. And I think the reason people are experiencing overwhelm and even depression and all these negative effects are coming from feeling like there's too many things on their plate, right? And so I love your advice of choosing a, a time each week. And that's great, like the start of the week, like a Sunday and looking at everything on your plate and starting to make decisions in a, a confined time period, right? Versus, so I'll give simple numbers and everyone knows these principles, but if let's say there were 10 things on your list that week, well, everyone knows the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. I would imagine that if you have the freedom to choose what to do on that list, like you're an executive or it's just your own business or you work for yourself, whatever it is, that you would identify out of that list of 10, only two are going to matter the most to moving the productivity of your business or profitability of your business forward. So the first thing, the decision you have to make, I really say is like, what, what are the two on this list that if I only did, only did those would make the biggest impact? How freeing is it to like remove those other eight? 
Now, this is what really happens is people bring all 10 of those forward to Monday and then whatever's left to Tuesday, et cetera. So that means that throughout the week, they have to make decisions. What should I do with this block of time that I have available? And they're looking at this list of 10 and they're, they have to make a decision. Why don't we stack those decisions and make them all at once on a Sunday? And even if you don't remove all eight, maybe they go to that category like you talk about, like the B or C category, like less important or maybe urgent. But if you said, gosh, these two matter the most, then every time you have a free time, you go, until those two are done, I'm going to do nothing else, right? Like I never move to the other eight, which are in, in lesser categories until those two are done. So every time I have a free block, I go, I'm going to be working on those two. And then another free block goes, until those two are done, those other list does not even exist. You've removed, I think, one of the big barriers because mental matters a lot. We all know that. So the, the mental fatigue to have to evaluate over and over and over to keep looking at that list of 10 and go, what should I do? What should I do? It's like, make that decision now. And then that decision's made. There's no evaluation. It's just productivity. There's just activity. Because what I see a lot of people do is that you already said it, it's like they default to this feeling, this like accomplishment feeling, right? So it's like, if they haven't made that decision up front on a Sunday, but they have a list of 10, there are easy ones to like jump on the list. Go, oh, I'll do that. I can get that done quickly. And they feel good. Like, oh, good. I got something done. I'm productive. Especially lower level people. They love to be able to report to their management and go, guess what I got done? Wasn't I productive? But we have to say, it's like, does that productivity help the business? Right? Does that help us be more profitable? Which is ultimately what we're after, right? Does that help the rest of the... the the way everything is produced and move forward. So anyway, bottom line is I love your advice. And I think bring that into the equation, bring that Pareto principle of what are the two of 10 or what is the 20% that matters the most. And until that 20% is done, we don't even look at the rest of the list. We make that decision early and we free our minds up to just be productive with what matters most. It's interesting because it happens in all things. It doesn't just happen in like weekly planning. I just finished working on a strategic plan with one of my partner, with, with one of my um, uh, clients. And as always happens, everyone wanted to get everything done like in the first three months of a 12 month plan. And it's like, yeah, we can do it. No problem. We'll have it done those first three months. Well, a month in, it's not happening. And I actually allow it to, to, to go for a period of time to see what rises to the top because it's an interesting way for them to understand what actually matters most to them. And sure enough, there were a couple of things that just like floated up where people wanted to take the meetings. They wanted to make stuff happen. It was super important. They understood that. So last week we sat down together and recalibrated the calendar for the year and moved everything out and people just breathe a collective sigh of relief because they knew they didn't have to get it all done at once and they could evaluate what could happen when. And they also had an opportunity to evaluate dependencies. Like it would be better if we actually had this program in place first before we implemented this other program. It'd be better for us to be, be able to evaluate what was happening with that and its effects because that'll inform what we wanna do with program B. And I, I, I love that principle that, that you mentioned, um, that 80-20 rule. It's such a, a clear way to think. And you know, for people for, for whom it may not work, I, I would just say, 
come up with whatever you need to to evaluate what matters most, but the principle is absolutely the same every time. And get out of that space of trying to get as much crammed into the beginning of the week as you possibly can. And Dan, I think you hit it perfectly. There's that sense of like, you know, we, we want the gold star. I mean, like that holdover from kindergarten. We want to come home and show mom and dad we got the gold star because of, you know, we were, we were good. We did the stuff we were supposed to do. And, and it, that's a hard one to resist and to overcome and to actually understand that it's not the amount of things that you do, but as you referenced, it's what you did to actually move the business forward, to make it more profitable, more productive, more creative, more inventive. What were those things? Those are the things that matter. And so I'm hoping that from this conversation, people's mindset will start to shift towards words like that, productivity, creativity, engagement, relatedness, uh, profitability, if I didn't get mentioned. Uh, and they'll start thinking more in those terms rather than just being busy and the number of things they can check off. And I'd say the power of no, N-O, the, about the ability to let things go that aren't working out, right? And I think as business consultants, we know that we can look at a company and go, they're giving too much weight to sunk cost. They're giving too much weight to uh, time invested. Like, I got to make this work because you know how much money we've spent on this? You know how much time we've spent on this? But if you look at like the biggest and best companies, you'll see Amazon, you'll see Apple, you'll see Google letting things go. They're like, we spent a lot of money on that. We spent a lot of time. And the market showed us that's not working for us. We're not just going to keep running after something that just is proving not to work. Let's let that go. Let's say no right, to future opportunities that are around that. And I love this story. I may have told this before, but I'll repeat it. It's um, the uh, Virgin America, oh, Richard, uh, I'll edit that part. It's Richard Branson. And Richard Branson was offered a speaking gig where the money just kept going up and up and up. And he his kept saying, no, 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 because that was not something on his priority list. He called his priority list his big three. That wasn't in his big three, was not speaking for money. So it wasn't a matter of how much money you could offer. The answer is no. And I think if we get better as individuals and as companies to say no, right? Oh, that could be a good opportunity for us. Like, is that what we're focused on? Is that important to us for right now, for this period of time, this quarter, this year, whatever we've decided? So I think to scale back, like we talked about Sunday's a great day to plan of like, what are the 20% of things that are going to move the ball forward the most? I think companies should all have an annual retreat, if not more often, where they look at their entire year in advance, ideally, and they ask the same question that you'd ask every Sunday. They go, what's important to us this year? What are the couple things, the 20% of things, or maybe your big three that are going to really help us as a company move the ball forward? And you know what the rest, we might put it aside and might, you know, revisit it later, but really it's just like, just say no. Like Nancy Reagan taught us in the 1980s, just say no. Well, that's a trip back in time. That's a, that's a whole different podcast, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> oh man, flashbacks. Okay. Uh, so so I, I, I love the, the reference back to the, 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 the annual retreats because that is the time to take a look at that. I love the... I love the looking back and almost doing the like a postmortem um, of 
you know, where, where did we really excel? Where did we do well? Where did we stick to our guns and actually follow through on the things that we said and what were the results? Where did we go off the rails when, you know, we, we leapt at some opportunity that we chased down a rabbit's hole and it wasn't worth it. Uh, and then what do we want to do to learn from that? And this is like, you know, my whole past, present, future thing. The past is over, but it's instructive. So we shouldn't discard it. We should learn from it. Um, the future is not assured, but that's where opportunity lies. That's what gives us hope. So we should keep that in front of us. But the present right here, right now, the only place that rational thought exists, the only place where decisions actually get made is in this moment now and this moment now and on and on. And so to be able to do that and have that kind of evaluation and then say, we're just going to focus on this. And, and I would issue you know, a word of warning. If, if you've got more than three to five strategic imperatives, strategic goals for a year coming up, um, it's too many. Pair it back. Just, just bring it back. You should never have more than that. Uh, because if the company's truly focused, like deeply invested in those, that's going to be more than enough to take up your time. Uh, and frankly, you wouldn't be able to do more than those and do them well. So the best laid plans are those that we chunk all the way back to, let's say, the beginning of the year or the beginning of some time period. And we reflectively look back on what's working, what's not, what are our priorities and what's important and what's not. And we get rid of the stuff that just makes us feel productive or is a, is a nice to have. And we go, you know, this is what matters. This is what's important. This is what's going to help our company grow or us as an individual move forward. And we bring that forward to week by week by scaling that back to looking on Sunday and going, even though I've scaled it back to these important things this week, I could do a lot of things in that important list. What are the two or 20% that I have to get done first with every amount of free period I have before I move on to that B or C list, that extra list, which are nice to do's or nice to have's, but I get these done first. I think then you can look back at every week as you reflect back before you plan the next week and you can say, wow, I got some important things done. I really moved the ball forward and you can feel productive for the right reasons because you laid out really good plans. That's perfect. And I think that in that looking back too, um, that notion of how it made you feel is so important. And there's a difference. If you've never experienced the difference between having been productive and having actually moved the ball in a significant way and just having been busy and checked things off a list, it is night and day. And it is not draining to have been productive and to have actually moved the ball, to have done a heavy lift, even if you've worked as many hours the exhaustion comes in those multiple little tasks, which seem to do nothing other than, you know, gain check marks. And, and that to me is, that's like the joy in, in having a business. That's the joy in working with clients is getting them that, to that place where they feel that intrinsic satisfaction and they're, they're inspired to get out of bed every day and work. It's not about dread. It's not about what they have to do or what they have to check off, but there's something like deeply inspiring about their work and they want to get to it. That, that work actually invigorates you. That's the kind of work that recharges you instead of draining you. So as you think forward to your next week and you look at all the podcasts you could spend your time listening to, your best laid plans will be to listen to Moses in the CIA. Remember that. Thank you for listening. 
To learn more, check out MosesInTheCIA.com. To learn more about Ken Mosesian, check out Mosesian.com. To learn more about Dan Crum, check out DanCrum.com.